0: Please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. A few weeks ago I had to explain to you young people that uh, we used to have phones in our houses hung on the wall and... uh, now I have to explain to you that we used to read the newspaper. There would, newspapers would come to almost every house, sometimes twice a day. And uh, well-informed people would read the newspaper twice a day. A significant part of the newspaper was the want ads. <clears throat> people could sell things in the want ads. That's before, before all the ways that you sell things on eBay and, uh, and so on. People advertised in the newspapers. If uh, when they needed someone to fill a job position, then they would put uh, employ- under the employment column in the newspaper, would give some want ads, and there would be something like this. So I'm going to perform a little, uh, a little test on you that's a little like Jeopardy, so that I, I kind of give you the answer and then you ask what is the role that is trying to be filled here uh, there will be a couple of things in this first description of the person who is wanted that, that uh, may be really puzzling to you, but you old people will know right away uh, who, what kind of position is seeking to be filled. So the description is, this person must write shorthand, type at least 100 words per minute, be pleasant and make good coffee. So we all we all know that's a secretary. Shorthand is a way of writing very fast. It was uh, taught in public high schools probably through the 1980s. I'm not sure. I doubt if anyone ever uses shorthand anymore. Uh, here is a real a real advertisement. Some of you may recognize this. They uh, the advertisement was <clears throat> seeking young, skinny, wiry fellows. Expert riders, under 18, willing to risk death daily, orphans preferred. $25 per week. Who knows, who knows what that is for? Okay, one person knows. Two people know. That's, that's advertisement for Pony Express riders. Yeah, willing to, willing to risk death daily, $25 a week. Man, that was a lot of money. Now, here is a, here's a description, and then, you know, the, what, what position is seeking to be filled. Character of a lion, ancestor of kings, willing to be a sacrifice, must be omnipotent and omniscient. Absolutely devoted to rescuing his captive people, must love all people of the earth, must have experience at being persecuted and martyred for God, able to transform slaves into kings and priests. Well, I took all of those descriptions from what we read about Jesus here in Revelation chapter 5. What's the position that he is qualified by all of this to fill? He's qualified to be the opener of the scroll. Now, there are a couple of things that I need to explain for that to make any sense to you at all. And uh, I would love to dramatically withhold this until the end, but I'm afraid that it would not be as effective as telling you at the front what I believe the scroll is. And uh, I believe that the scroll is the administration of God's kingdom. The scroll is the administration of God's kingdom. And when Jesus receives the scroll, then it is a dramatic presentation of how the administration of God's kingdom has now been entrusted to Jesus. And the administration of God's kingdom entails broadly the execution of justice. But there are two particular executions of justice that show up again and again throughout the book of Revelation and throughout the whole Bible. First of all, it's taking vengeance on God's enemies. So uh, that, that shouldn't be a surprise to you if you're a careful reader of the Bible. It's just astounding how much That shows up in God's kingdom, the administration of vengeance against God's enemies. So that's one aspect of God's justice. The other part of God's justice is the administration of blessing to God's friends, both now and forevermore. And uh, so when Jesus receives the scroll, I think that it it is a dramatic presentation of saying, now the administration of God's vengeance against His enemies and the administration of God's blessing to His friends is entrusted into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I come up with that not because I read it in a book somewhere, because I haven't, but because of the job description that makes Jesus worthy to do it. So you take all of these things that are being described and it's like I did you with uh, the advertisement in the newspaper. Someone who can do shorthand and type and who's pleasant and makes coffee, she's qualified to be a servant. I mean to be a secretary which is what a servant is. And uh, I've been around institutions with secretaries long enough to know that secretaries actually run the world. And uh, so... uh, So thankful for people who are called to do the administrative work of being an administrative assistant, or what we used to call a secretary. So thankful for the good work that our administrative assistant, uh, Elizabeth Presley, does. Just so wonderful how she helps everything to keep running smoothly. And, uh, you know, then I read the ad to you for uh, the... the, uh, the Pony Express riders, now you know when you hear that again. Wanted, young, wiry, skinny fellows, able to ride, willing to risk death every day. You know, oh, that's Pony Express. Several years ago, I had a, uh, a student who, uh, he was my grader, and after grading for me for a number of years, he had earned his Ph.D. And he wasn't quite sure whether he wanted to go into the professoriate, or whether he wanted to go into the pastorate. And so he asked me to write him a recommendation letter with each of those goals in mind. But I had to write one that was specifically for uh, academic hiring committees, like at a college or a university, and then I had to write one that was specific for pastor search committees. And i I don't have those letters as far as I know. They might be on some computer somewhere. But if I, I, I hope that if I were to put one of them in front of you, that you would say, oh, this is the one where you're recommending him to be a pastor. The things that you bring about, out about his relating to people and so on, that's, that's very important for a pastor. But here where you talk about the content of his dissertation and what a great scholar he is, that's not especially relevant to to his being a pastor all the time. So you could, you could pick out which was which. And that's what, that's what I have done with this chapter and what the book of Revelation says about Jesus' qualifications to take this scroll and to open it so that the people in heaven, people on earth, say, You are worthy. This is a job that you are well qualified to do. So I told you there were a couple of things I needed to explain in the introduction, and the first thing is that, that the scroll represents the administration of God's kingdom through Jesus Christ. And the second thing that I need to explain to you is what the word worthy means, because that's one of those words. Maybe today was the first day that you found out what hallelujah means. Maybe you've never thought about what worthy means. And I think that there are at least three ideas that are embedded in worthy. The first idea is that you are capable. And the second idea is that you are qualified. And the third idea is that you are deserving. So capable, qualified, and deserving. When we say that Jesus is worthy, then we are saying you are capable of doing this job you 're qualified to do it, and you are deserving to have this position entrusted into your care so uh, let's let 's suppose that uh, one day I hear a chainsaw buzzing in my yard, and I look out and there's there 's some, some yahoo out there cutting down my favorite walnut tree i have I have a tree in my yard man it 's a gorgeous walnut tree. I'm, we're planning on moving this, this spring or summer, Lord willing. I hate, to move, I hate to move off and leave that walnut tree. I really do. I love the walnut tree. And some guy's out there with a chainsaw. And I go out and I say, what are you doing? Uh, who told you to do this? And he said, well, I, I, I've just got this chainsaw, and your neighbor told me that he'd like for me to cut this down. I said, look, just the fact that you have the capability to cut down my tree doesn't give you the right to do it but capability is one part of worthiness. And then I say, well, you, you've already started to butcher the thing now. I mean, go ahead and cut it down, but cut it down so that I can take the log and have it sewn into uh, into boards. I, I would like to use the boards of this tree for something. And uh, so now I've qualified him. I have given him the authority to do it, and uh, but in the process of cutting down the tree. He splits the tree very badly and it falls on my house. And, uh, and I said, I'm not going to pay you for this job. I hope you have insurance. You are not worthy to receive payment for this. Because, I mean, he, he was capable. He had the chainsaw. He was qualified because I gave him the authority to do it, but he wasn't worthy. He hadn't done it in the way that a, a competent tree surgeon is supposed to do it. But when we say that Jesus is worthy, we are saying you have the capacity to do this job and you have the proper authorization, you are qualified, God is handing this scroll over to you and you are the only person in the universe who is capable of doing it well. You are worthy of, you you deserve this, so you are deserving of this. In order to help us appreciate the fact that Jesus is the only person who is worthy to administer God's kingdom, there is first of all a, a call to see if anybody else can do it. So let's see what it says in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. Back in those days, important documents would uh, be sealed. Uh, they would drip some wax uh, from a candle onto uh, the edges of a paper, and then an important person would uh, impress his ring or something like that into the seal. You can still buy little fancy seals like that at stationery shops or shops that sell stationery. You can get a little, little wax and metal little wax on the back of your envelope. And then you can have a, a little seal that you impress on that. It looks real classy. And uh, this, this document is sealed with seven seals. Not just anybody can open it. That's what a seal said. A seal said, this is an official document. And only the person who is worthy can open this document. And this seal has seven seals on it. And uh, so now we see the uh, the trial. Is there anybody else who, who can do this? In verse 2 it says, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy? Remember, who's capable, who's qualified, who's deserving? Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. I can just imagine the The silence that uh, was allowed to reign in heaven when the angel says, Who is worthy? Perhaps one of the great and mightiest seraphim looks towards the other and the other one just nods his head. No, I can't do it. And perhaps the, the great and mighty Gabriel turns his face towards Michael, the archangel. Michael, are you going to try it? Michael says, No, I'm not worthy. No one in heaven. And then I... Whatever, whatever great ones were upon the earth and walking in fellowship with the Lord at that time. Any of you want to come and try to take over this scroll? And All of the saintly people on earth just bowed their heads. No. What about the people under the earth? What about all the people who have died? What about all the people who have walked with God in days gone by? Any of you? Moses? No, Moses says. David, no, David says. Elijah, Elisha, you great prophets of old, any of you? No, none of them. And John begins to cry. So verse 4, he says, And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. I mean, you not only can you not break the seals on this scroll, you can't even look into it. Don't even get near that scroll. You, Nobody is worthy. And so John thinks, well, how is, how is the administration of God's kingdom going to take place? Remember, the book of Revelation is written to people who are being sorely persecuted. And at this time in history, the persecution is primarily coming from the Jews. It's primarily coming from the, cent- the central city of Jerusalem. And, uh, and so John is wondering, isn't God going to administer His justice? Jesus had said that not one stone is going to be left on another that's all going to be thrown down. Jesus has said, behold, your house is left to you desolate. When Jesus was in His last week of life, He cursed the fig tree And he said, never may you bear fruit again. When Jesus was on the earth, he said, what will the owner of the vineyard do to these people who have treated his servants and his sons so badly? And the answer was given, he will come and he will destroy those people. But it all hasn't happened yet. And John's looking for it to happen. And John is looking for the justice. There are saints on the earth who have been persecuted and who have even been killed by this center of persecution in Jerusalem, and they're crying out from beneath the altar. We'll see them soon. Oh Lord, oh sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers should be fulfilled who were to be killed just as they had been. But how long? Oh, no, John says, oh, no, there's no one who is worthy to to bring this about. And then in verse five, one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now that's the beginning of the qualifications for someone who is going to be able to administer God's kingdom. He has to be the, he has to have the character of a lion. I think this is not merely the fulfillment of a verse of scripture, although it is that. In fact, I think that it would be instructive for us to turn back to Genesis chapter 49 and see where this phrase comes from. Because the point that I'm going to make is that these first three qualifications, that He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and that He is the, uh, the Root of David, and that He is the Conqueror, qualify Him to perform that first half of the task of administering God's kingdom. Namely, administering vengeance upon His enemies. So Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. It's not just that he is an impressive King of the Beasts sort of fellow. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 49, beginning with verse 8. Now, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. And here's what it says in Genesis 49, 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. You see that? When, When Jacob is dying, he says, Judah... The rulers, of, the rulers of Israel are going to come from you. And they did. David and his offspring were from the tribe of Judah. And Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. But your, neck, your hand is going to be on the neck of your enemies. He's not putting a necklace on there. He's, he's choking them out. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. So this is don't don't think of cute little baby Simba lion this is this is great big lion who has killed something and he's coming up he stooped down he crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him so this is where the phrase the lion of the tribe of judah comes from he's not a nice little putty tat He's, he is, a, in modern parlance, we would say he is a bad lion. Of course, he's not bad. He's a very good lion. But he is a very powerful lion and capable of administering vengeance on God's enemies. Then, notice next, he's called the root of David. So this elder says, weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Oh, well, surely that means the sweet singer of Israel. Well, he was that. But I just challenge you to go to virtually any one of the Psalms that David wrote. This is true for almost all of them. And you will see that he, along with praising God for his goodness, is also calling, calling upon God to, to bring vengeance upon his enemies. Even in Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley, thou hast prepared a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Even in that sweet, sweet psalm, there is the presence of enemies. And and virtually every verse in that longest of psalms, Psalm 119 has 176 verses, almost all of them have some kind of contrast with the enemy. The enemy is just is, is prevalent. Do you remember that David wanted to build a temple for the Lord and that David was not permitted? Do you remember the reason why? Because the Lord told him, you've been a man of blood. You've spent your life fighting battles. The first time we get a really good look at David, he's putting a stone in Goliath's forehead. And David was a mighty man of battle when absalom his son rebelled against him and david had to flee from the city counsel was given to uh to immediately go out and attack attack david immediately go out because uh, he, he's he's confused his forces are not ordered if you're going to win absalom now is the time because if you give him time to regroup You know what your father's like. He's a mighty man of battle. Wow, where did a guy like that come from? And you Bible scholars will know, well, he came from the family of Jesse. That's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is Jesus is the root that produced this mighty man of battle. This man who was able to administer vengeance against God's enemies. So... Who's worthy to open the scroll? Well, it's got to be somebody who is capable of administering justice on God's behalf and wreaking vengeance upon his enemies. Well, here is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Here is the root of David. And then the third thing that is said about him here is that he has conquered. So he he has already conquered mightily. And we can read about some of his conquests in the Bible when he was crucified on the cross and surely the, the devil thought that he was winning the victory now. But in fact, Jesus was crushing the serpent's head and on the third day his victory was apparent. And uh, Jesus has already conquered the devil and bruised his head. That's the kind of guy that must be able to open the scroll. And so this elder says to John, "Don't don't cry. There's somebody who can do it. But there's only one. And so look at verse 6 as we continue to look at the qualifications and capabilities and worthiness of Jesus, His deservedness. It says in verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Now, I've seen I've seen some depictions of what a diagram of what this is supposed to look like and my conception differs from the diagrams so the way i think of it is here is the throne in the middle and then around the throne are the 24 elders and then outside of that are the four living creatures so that's that's the way that i read especially chapter 4 and so uh, it it's not a, it's not a huge deal but I, I i think that the point is being made that he has come from the people of God, that he is an unlikely candidate. It wouldn't be so surprising if one of these mighty creatures who has the face like a lion or another one who has the face like a a man or one who has a face like an eagle or another who has a face like an ox, it wouldn't be so surprising if one of these come up. But here comes someone from people. Remember the 24 elders represent the saints from the Old Testament and the New Testament represented by the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. So here he comes from people, and then to make it even more unlikely, he's a lamb who has been slain. Now, I don't think that here it's supposed to refer to his meek character. I think that it refers to his sacrificial character. But still, it's, it's kind of a surprise. He has been willing to be sacrificed, and he's the one who can take the scroll? When I start thinking about uh, the triumph of underdogs and the victorious days, I mean, I can just almost think of endless illustrations, but let me, let me see if I can get one for each of you. Not everybody in here, but... Uh, so have you ever seen uh, either either on, on stage or the movie of uh, The Phantom of the Opera? So at the beginning of the Phantom of the Opera, there's a very good opera singer who gets her feelings hurt, and she decides that she is not going to perform the part. And they've got a performance that night. And then the the woman who is in charge of the chorus girl says, Christine Danier, she's been practicing the part. She can do it. And it's like, oh, no, not Christine Danier. uh, But then... I love the way they do it in the movie. I've seen, it, I've seen it on stage too, but I love the way they do it in the movie. So here's this girl who has just been in the chorus. And it comes and uh, it shows her dressed up sparkly. And she starts thinking, think of me, think of me waking. And, uh, and it's all going so great. And it shows the audience. And then she finally hits that, that last note, which I'll have Jim Bob do tonight. <clears throat> And uh, it just—it's uh, a thunderous success. But who would have expected it from a chorus girl? Or let's go back about—let's go back about twenty-two, back about years ago. And uh, the NFL draft has been going going on for hours, and finally they get to number two hundred and ninety-seven, the two hundred and ninety-seventh guy selected in the draft. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, same, pers- same person knows that the, knew, the, knew the Pony Express question, uh, Willow Winfrey. And uh, Tom Brady, the greatest of all time. Tom Brady selected 297th in the draft. Now look at him. One of my favorite stories has to do with one of my favorite preachers. There was this young fellow in Wales who became a follower of Jesus. When he became a follower of Jesus some of his old buddies beat him up so bad that they 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 poked out one of his eyes. He's one-eyed Chris his name was Christmas Evans. One-eyed Christmas Evans. And back in those days in Wales they would uh, have these meetings where Thousands of people would gather to hear preachers, and, and Christmas Evans was at one of those meetings, not as a speaker, but as just an attender in the congregation. And, uh, there were two really well-known preachers who were scheduled to preach later on that day, but one of the, one of the warm-up guys had not showed up. And so the fellow, the pastor who was in charge of the meeting was going around to first one and then another preacher and and asking them, will you preach? Will you preach? And none of them would. And finally one of them said, why don't you ask that one-eyed boy? Mentioned the town he was from. Why don't you ask that one-eyed boy? I've heard he can preach. Christmas Evans agrees. People don't know who Christmas Evans is. They go... It's outdoors. Some of them go scattering off under the trees to have their lunch and people not paying much attention. And then he starts preaching. And the fire of God falls. And from that moment on, he is the most powerful, sought-after preacher in Wales. But who would have expected it? If I'm connecting the story correctly, he lived a couple of hundred miles from this meeting and he never had a horse and so he walked all the way. And who would have thought, seeing this, this ugly, little, no-neck man stumbling along that dusty road, here is God's chosen servant. And that's the kind of contrast that's here. Who would have looked that day on the cross of Calvary, that man with blood running down his face and blood dripping off of his back and nailed to a cross, who would have suspected one day this young man is going to walk up to the throne of God Almighty and take the scroll of the administration of the kingdom of God out of his hand? But that's who John sees. Then I saw, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, a lamb standing as though he had been slain. He's, he's been slain, but he's standing. He has arisen from the grave. Maybe that song has this in mind when it says, Rich wounds, yet visible above, in beauty glorified. There stands Jesus, obvious that he has been crucified, but he is standing. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes. Now, what does that mean? Well, in my qualification, I gave you the interpretation. The seven eyes mean that he knows everything. Seven is the number of perfection. And a person who has seven eyes is able to administer justice perfectly. He knows just exactly what needs to happen. And the seven horns, when you read about horns in the Bible, it is almost always a symbol of power. If you're afraid of cows and you have to walk through a pasture, the one that you're most afraid of is the one that has the biggest horns. If there's if it's a a field full of black Angus and Herefords and there's one longhorn in there, you're going to keep your eye on that longhorn because you don't want to deal with those horns. And that is a symbol of power. So when Jesus has seven horns, it means that He has all power. So the fact that He has seven eyes means that He's omniscient. The fact that He has seven horns means that He's all powerful. Now, this is a great place to say that this is a symbol. When you get to heaven and you see Jesus, I don't think you're going to see him have seven eyes plastered across his forehead and seven horns sticking out of his head. This is a symbol that means he knows everything. He's omniscient and he has all power. He is omnipotent. But he is the one who is... Now do you see? You're getting more why he's worthy. He has seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He knows. Jesus Jesus sees it all his spirit his holy spirit has been sent to the earth and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne if you just if you just let the drama build up the way that it's built up here this is one of the most stunning moments in the bible he goes and he takes the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne and when he does, man, praise just breaks out. And so we have we have seen, first of all, that there was an announcement that showed that only one person was worthy. Now we've seen the qualifications and the capabilities of this person. Now let's see that he is deserving to receive all the credit for what he is about to do. Verse 8, And when he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures and the 24 elders elders fell down before the Lamb. (coughs) Now, this is not the only time in the Bible where someone falls down to worship someone who has done something good. I meant to say not the only time in the book of Revelation. Twice in the book of Revelation, (coughs) John says, And when the angel showed these things to me, I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and with all who keep the, keep the precepts of this book. Worship God. That happens twice. The rule is you're not supposed to bow down and worship anybody except God. That's the rule. But here are people in heaven, and you see who they're falling down and worshiping? They're Falling down and worshiping the Lamb. They're falling down and worshiping Jesus. They're giving to Jesus what is due to God alone because Jesus is God. And they are each holding a harp which symbolizes their praises and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And so Jesus <clears throat> Jesus taking the scroll is an answer to the prayers of the saints. This will show up again that incense represents the prayers of the saints. Do your prayers matter? Your prayers are heard in heaven. This shows that the prayers of saints are considered and offered in heaven. And they fall down and they worship. They sing a new song. Now we saw an old song in chapter uh, 4. It was a song of creation, But now this is a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Now that's something that makes him qualified. He is willing to sacrifice himself for the good of his people. By his blood he ransomed people for God. He knows how to love people. He knows how to reward God's friends. And he loves peoples not just from one nation, but from every tribe and language and people and nation. And he knows how to transform people. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So the four living creatures and the 24 elders give their praises to Jesus. You are worthy, they say, to take this. But now the party gets bigger, bigger, a lot bigger Verse 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. So now we're outside that little diagram that I gave you throne, elders, living creatures. And then he hears something. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. What a wave of song that must have been. I grew up in a church that was a real singing church. I mean, when visiting preachers came, they always comment on, on how heartily the people at Storms Creek Missionary Baptist Church sang. Uh, and at, in, in recent months, the singing at Bullet Lick has just been getting better and better as people are singing, and uh, it, it's, really, it's really moving. But when I was a, a boy, my dad would sometimes, uh, virtually every year, would take my me and my sisters and my mom to a Bible conference in. Uh, well, there was one in Lexington, Kentucky, and at that at that Bible conference there might be six or seven hundred people, and then we would go to another Bible conference near Detroit, Michigan, and there might be seven or eight hundred people there, and to hear that many people singing when you're used to hearing. Just a hundred people sing. What a powerful, moving experience it was. But can you imagine? Then I looked and I heard around the throne and around the, the elders and the living creatures the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands all saying with a loud voice, look at what they're saying. Worthy. You're qualified, you're capable, you're deserving. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I think the first category of these things, power, wealth, wisdom and might, are the sort of qualities that you need to do the job well. And then these last three are qualities that show you deserve to be praised for having done the job well. If you're going to administer the universe, you need power. You need resources, wealth. You need wisdom. You need might. And when you do it well, you're worthy to receive honor and glory and blessing. Can the party get any bigger? Yes, it does. In verse 13 it says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Jesus is the only person in the universe who is worthy to take the scroll. He has taken it. And now the administration of the kingdom is in the hands of the Lamb who was slain, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, who has conquered so that He can take the scroll and break its seals. Don't you want to be on His team? Don't you want to be on that side? Whether or not you receive God's vengeance or God's blessing is determined by how you respond to Jesus. And if you submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, then he will administer God's kingdom to be blessing to you. And if you refuse to submit to God, God's Messiah, to Jesus, then he will administer God's vengeance against you. But it will be one or the other. Either his vengeance, if you're his enemy, or his blessing, if you're his friend. Jim Bob, come and lead us in a concluding hymn.